Welcome to 45 Forward, the beginning of the rest of your life. Each week, host Ron Roel and his guests discuss topics of interest to many listeners in their 40s and beyond, including retirement, caring for aging parents, health, lifestyle, and more. It's time to think ahead to the next half of your life, and we'll help you plan it with ease. Now, here is Ron Roel. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of 45 Forward, where our mission is to help you, our listeners, from Los Angeles to Long Island, make your second half of life better than the first. I'm talking today with Carol Wallman, a New York area gerontologist with a passion for helping older adults thrive, not just survive. For almost three decades, Carol served as executive director of a large, dynamic suburban senior center on Long Island. But her official resume, which includes developing a nationally recognized lifelong learning series, and creating a first-of-its-kind conference on aging and creativity does not begin to describe the impact Carol has had on our community, from the many professionals in her field to the thousands of seniors who have passed through the doors of her center. Over the years, Carol has become renowned for her hallmark approach to promoting vital aging, what I call her thrival guide. Her keys to not only meeting the challenges of people as they become frail, but helping us find ways to adapt, adjust, and experience new dreams and adventures in life. Along the way, Carol has become a fierce advocate for confronting ageism in our society. Everything from stereotypical, stereotypical attitudes to obstacles, and getting fair treatment to housing and social services. Carol wants to make sure that seniors know their real value and that communities know the real value of what it means to get older. In short, as Carol herself once put it, I hope to bring joy into people's lives. So now, let's meet our guest, Carol Wallman, and find out why every local community, and not just senior folks, need someone like Carol Wallman to bring joy to the world. So, Carol, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Ron. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Now, Carol, before we uh, start talking about your views of aging uh, and more broadly, I want to just ask you how you got into the field. It's not something that people usually think about, like, meet when they, you know, graduate from college and they say, oh, I want to get involved in gerontology of seniors. So give us a little background on how you got into the field. Sure. Uh, well, actually, it started when I was a child. Um, like some children, uh, I went through a period where I was afraid of the dark. Uh, and my grandmother would sit beside me in the darkness and sing a Russian lullaby. And the Russian lullaby was uh, a beautiful story about a lonely old woman who lived in a cottage in the woods uh, as she was coming home from grocery shopping one cold winter evening, she heard someone sobbing in the distance. Uh, it was a small boy sitting on the steps of her home. Uh, she sat down beside him and consoled him. He'd been looking for his parents for days and uh, had gotten lost in the forest and was cold and hungry and frightened. She brought him into her home and she made sure that she warmed him by the fire. She made him some soup and asked him if he wanted to stay for the night. He did, and then he stayed the next night and the next night until eventually he decided that he wanted to live with her. She loved having someone to take care of, and he loved having someone who cared about him. Eventually, he started carrying the heavy groceries home for her, and the story ends on a very happy note. So I, I don't know if it was the happy ending or the comfort of having my grandmother sit beside me in the darkness, but the bond between old and young uh, was made for me at that time, and it never left. Uh, in my teen years, I worked with blind elderly campers for two summers through uh, the lighthouse. Uh, 
and many years later with older adults teaching English as a second language. I loved how motivated they were. I loved how grateful they were and how resilient they were. And they, they took nothing for granted. And uh, as an English major and a, a teacher of English, I found myself constantly drawn to literature around aging characters. So for example, I was fascinated by Shakespeare's King Lear and Hemingway's uh, Santiago in The Old Man of the Sea. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the tragic flaw in, in Lear uh, in Shakespeare's view was that he was old and old actually became his undoing, his, his curse. Uh, in the case of Hemingway, uh, Santiago, uh, this Cuban fisherman, was focused on remaining really vital. Um, he was a good fisherman and wanted to teach a young boy how to fish, but he also wanted to show him what he was capable of. And this dichotomy fascinated me over the years. So when I had my first chance, I applied for a job as a program coordinator uh, at the Glen Cove Senior Center uh, position, and uh, that solidified my love for this population. Uh, After 10 years, uh, I became the director and uh, had the privilege to go back to school for my master's in gerontology. And uh, it's been a joy, talk about joy, it's been a joy (laughs) ever since to, uh, to work with people who I am in awe of almost all the time. Oh, that's a great story. Great, great journeys. Not, not ending anytime soon too. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> no, no, no. So anyway, um, so don't, don't tell me that a good liberal arts education can't lead to a vocation. <laughs> so, <laughs> I agree. Um, I yeah. Agree. So that's, that's, I, I love your story of how literature shaped your views of aging. That's great. So segueing to that, let's talk a little bit more about what your view of aging is. You have a very interesting perspective on how you see the process of aging. A couple different paradigms. Let's, let's hear them. Sure, sure. Well, what most of us are taught uh, is that we go through different stages of development in life. And these stages are uh, distinctly chronological. So Freud, for example, Freud emphasized the early stages of life as critical. And then he lumped adulthood into one long stretch that was a reflection or a rebellion against those years. Uh, Eric Erickson said that we have choices in our later years, but that after 60, uh, this is more or less what happens. We slow down. We take stock of our lives. uh, We have some degree of satisfaction in knowing what we've accomplished, or we struggle with regret and disappointment. But, But while those stages really identify certain behavior and certain dynamics attributed to aging, life might just be a more broad process of growing from younger to older with aspects of loss and intimacy, meaning and identity kind of woven through our lives. So the general attitude toward aging in our culture um, in the past, and and sadly, Ron, uh, to some degree it still exists today, um, really is based on the paradigm of decline, decay, and disappearance. Mm -hmm. Uh, And while it's true, that we do lose things as we age. Uh, We lose our hearing, our vision, our physical prowess. Sometimes we lose our memories, our our cars, our homes, uh, to some degree our independence, and and most painfully, uh, the landscape of our friends and family. We also gain a lot. Um, We have an increase in self-awareness, a greater appreciation and understanding of how life works, uh, an acknowledgement of how resilient we actually are. And on some level, we have greater freedom and a stronger sense of our place in the world. So 
so this idea of you know turning 40 or or now 50 uh, and being over the hill, this analogy that life is like climbing a mountain. And when you get to the top, you know, at midlife, it's all downhill from there is something that I really question. Um, I would encourage your listeners to consider and embrace a new paradigm of the last several decades, uh, which is that we might consider that the peak of the mountain is not actually a peak, but a plateau uh, that stretches for miles, or or in the case of what we're discussing now, years, uh, and that beyond that plateau, there might even be some new mountains to climb. And another way to look at it, is that with all the loss accompanied by older age, um, a lot of us tend to think that we are less of ourselves as we get older. But again, instead of our world shrinking, uh, I would suggest that, you know, that analogy of starting off as, you know, throwing a pebble into a river, you know, we start off as a small little circle and that circle expands in time into wider and wider circles. And we eventually just become a part of the river. Uh, and just kind of lastly, I was thinking of my favorite metaphor for aging, if if I can uh, share sure, sure. Um, with your listeners, and that's the metaphor of autumn. Uh, of course, so many poets have talked about autumn and uh, the autumn of our years, but they're referring to the end of our lives. Uh, and And in fact, in autumn, there is a withering of leaves and a falling of leaves and the bending of limbs. Uh, but I would argue that autumn has another aspect to it, um, and it's, it's the time when we see the brilliance and the beauty that no other season has. You know, those golden yellows and that crimson red, and we should relish that brilliance and, and celebrate it. So if aging is to kind of be equated with autumn, perhaps it is then that we are at the peak of our beauty mm. as we age. Interesting. Yeah. You know, I noticed, Carol, too, that even, you know, in winter, on wintry days, you know, sometimes as I'm driving along um, without the leaves uh, and other visual distractions, uh, the sun is, in fact, brighter, Mm. you know, and I see that there's a certain clarity, like, wow. Um, And I think that that's also kind of a metaphor that, you know, as some things, you know, fade away other things become clear and more crisp and you kind of you know are sharper and more vivid to you so absolutely yeah absolutely and i'm going to take you on the road with me the next time i talk about ageism (laughs) (laughs) because that's a beautiful point you've made thank you great great yeah so let's uh now let's dive a little bit into how to age you know uh, successfully um and how to thrive because i think that there. You know, they're, you know, so I think that one of the points you've made in a number of cases is that, you know, you have to do certain things, you know, it's not just like, well, we're just going to be, you know, vital. You have to think sure. about it and focus on it and be proactive in certain ways. So um, from previous conversations with you, I've, I put together my listing of things from you. Um, there are about six or seven keys. And the first one was the, um, the ability to adapt to change, make adjustments. Talk about that a bit. Sure, sure. Uh, actually, that's probably the greatest um, successful aging message you can you can give to someone is to be able to encourage them to adapt to change. And you know, it's really over the years that I've worked with older people that I've you know had the privilege of witnessing thousands of people growing older and you know teaching me these lessons. Uh, that probably being one of the most important. So I would suggest that 
when people consider this first thought of adapting to change, that they begin really by acknowledging that there is a need to adapt in the first place. So to some degree, you do want to mourn what you can no longer do or be or have, but you don't want to mourn for too long. You want to do a few things. You want to make some adjustments. Uh, So for example, if you love reading, but you've become visually challenged, you might think of audiobooks, or you might have friends read to you so that you can still do something that you love and it's not taken away from you. You're just doing it a little differently. Or if you love tennis, but it's become a little too rigorous for you, you might want to try pickleball, which is a gentler way of moving balls across a court. Uh, If you're passionate about the theater, but you can actually get to Broadway, for example, if you happen to be in New York, uh, then you can just go to your local repertory theater. Or now they have so many wonderful plays online that you could watch. So you don't have to lose uh, and, and let go of the passion that you've had. You're just kind of redirecting it. But alternatively, or, or in addition, if you need to, uh, you can also try substitution. So rather than just adjust, you can, you can substitute things. For example, uh, if, Ron, if you love to bowl, but you can no longer bowl, Uh, and bowling is all about a ball and aiming it in the right direction, you might want to try golf. Uh, It's a little softer on the body. Certainly, it's a different game. But the idea is you can substitute one sport for another and still feel like you're being active. Uh, In the sense of uh, substitution, also, you have, uh, for example, the idea of giving up your car. Uh, That's a very difficult thing for a lot of people to do because it is very tied to their identity. It's tied to spontaneity, uh, to very important things. But sometimes you discover the cost of insurance is too great. You have to shovel yourself out in the cold winter day. Um, You have to maintain your car. And sometimes it's more of a burden than you need. So you might want to substitute that and consider Uber or taxis or train or bus or in our case in Glen Cove, loop bus options that take you around the city. Uh, So you're substituting one thing for another. But this whole idea of being able to adapt to change really requires a few things. Um, You have to have a positive attitude. You have to have a good sense of humor because things will not always go well. Uh, You have to be able to have perspective. And you have to be able to reset your expectations. And, you know, sometimes that's uh, easier said than done. But it also asks you to be flexible and resilient because that's part of what being a human being is. And uh, if you're able to try to just understand that you can sometimes not do what you used to do, but there are options, uh, it starts to feel better and you start to feel good again. So that's, that's one uh That's one lesson I've learned. Uh, But a second, and that's, you know, just as important in many ways, is that it's so important to stay open to new experiences, new relationships, uh, tap old interests and and feel like they're new to you. So one uh, one great example uh, I can share with you um, is one of the members of our senior center was especially timid. In fact, she uh, had a very conservative background, and it took everything for her family to get her to join our senior center. Uh, We had a very persuasive program coordinator at the time, and she convinced uh, this woman 
to join a beginner belly dancing class. Mm-hmm. Months later, uh, she came into my office and she asked if she can show me her fingernails and her toenails because she had decided to paint them a bright red. She had found her sensuality through that class and and a fascinating journey because she then began wearing colors she never wore before. She started eating better. She took an exercise class. Uh, She developed an interest in the culture of the belly dancing experience. So she started getting involved with our lifelong learning programs. And then she met a friend. She met someone that had similar interests. They began to talk at the center and eventually began to be friends, you know, developed a friendship outside of the center. Hmm. So just from her willingness to be open, she experienced something she never did before. And it's an extraordinary experience. So, um, and the third, which is tied in in a way. Yeah. Let me, let me, uh, what is, what's the third one? And then I'm going to just, I was uh, just going to say to to stay engaged. So if you've made that connection, develop it. Right. And, um, if you hear something that interests you, like what's going on in the Middle East or how to make a vegetable casserole, uh, go to the library, shop, cook, uh, deepen the experience by bringing a friend over. Right. So okay. stay engaged. Right. Great. Okay. So uh, we're going to take a break in a few moments. So just hold that thought. There are a couple other things that I wanted to mention. You have a lot of different great points. Uh, one being uh, how to discover a new sense of purpose in life. So, um, When we come back to the break, I'd like you to just talk a little bit more about that. So, folks, uh, we're going to take a quick break, uh, but don't go away. We'll be back with much more from Carol Waldman. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. A Braveheart is anyone with the courage to be of service to others. If you have that courage, then Bravehearts Radio with Brian Reinbold is for you. Even if you aren't yet, you'll want to still tune in to get inspired, create your own story to share, and change your life for the better. Listen to the stories of service and courage shared by amazing guests and your input, too. Listen for Bravehearts Radio, Mondays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember, doing good anywhere does good everywhere. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Rowell or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks, where we're talking with Carol Waldman, a noted gerontologist and former uh, executive director of a very dynamic senior center. We've been talking to Carol about um, various tips for thriving as we age. And uh, just before the break, we were talking about how to discover a new purpose in life or rediscovering purposes, you know, sort of a a reason for getting up in in the morning and uh, what I guess 
some people refer to as a purpose-driven life. So talk about that, Carolyn, and how that adds to your vitality as you age. Sure. Uh, There is uh, nothing that I think is more important than feeling like you have a reason to wake up in the morning and that there is something or someone that you're going to connect with or something that's going to matter, that's going to make that day worthwhile and that makes your life worthwhile. So it could be something as simple as my garden is needing tending to, or I have to take a daily walk, or I just want to make my neighbor smile today, or um, I want to read a story to my grandchildren. Uh, I want to keep working, or I'd like to do some volunteer work, uh, or I just want to wake up and recognize that there is beauty in the world. You know, you may want to reread something for the sake of deepening your knowledge of it, uh, care for your pet, uh, write your memoirs. Anything that makes you feel like there is some value attached to what it is that you're thinking or doing or experiencing. Uh, One very good example of that is the idea of trying to create a legacy uh, for yourself. Uh, What is it that you can actually pass on? And spending some time thinking about that is is a helpful uh, way to begin to do that and then feel like you're thriving. It could be that you're helping a friend through a hard time because of lessons you've learned, or it could be teaching a child a life lesson. But basically, it's saying that there is something that you can share because you have been alive and understand something about life, your wisdom that is worth passing on. And that alone can make you feel like you're thriving. Right, right. And then finally, we were going to talk a little bit about... um, you know, sort of acknowledging the limitations in your life while focusing on your strengths. Yeah, uh, there's no question that that is the key. Uh, We had a senior who had macular degeneration who had come to our senior center and uh, she loved to paint, Uh, but she, her macular degeneration worsened in time and she had to actually hold a canvas right up to her nose uh, in order to see color and in order to see form. But she realized that her challenges were nothing compared to her desire to paint. So I I think we have to really always look at where we come from that is going to give us support. Where is it that, what is it that feels positive? What is it that feels strong and valuable? And then find a way to that even though there are limitations at times. And, you know, if I could share on just one very sweet story, sure. um, that's an extension of that is uh, we've been asking the painters in the class to, um, to see if they can, for the city's sake, do paintings of different buildings throughout Glen Cove of the area where the senior center is. And this particular woman I'm speaking of chose to do the senior center, beautiful rendition of the center. Uh, and she put a, wonderful wash of yellow across the windows. And when I questioned it and I said to her, you know, how lovely of you warm the center up with the sunshine. She said, no, 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 Carol, that's not what's happening here. What's happening is that that's the sunshine inside the center. Hmm. That's the sunshine and the joy that being in the center brings uh, to us. And, you know, I can't say enough about the value of community-based services as senior centers are to help you identify your strengths and support your strengths. So um, I, I, that's an absolute focus, but, but 
just to um, think in terms of what what also helps us is our ability to look at time right. uh, in, in a meaningful way. And uh, it's a comfort uh, to remember the past for older people. It's a real comfort. And, and it helps them recognize and, and feel that their foundation is strong. You know, where they've come from really matters. Um, it's important, but it's not your only friend. Uh, it's important not to just dwell on the past. And, and with the future, yeah, the future absolutely matters. Um, you know, you want to make sure that you have your affairs in order. You want to make sure that you have plans for any changes you may need to make. You want to make sure that you're leaving life better for the next generation. So, yes, you need to think about the future. But the most important thing that you can do to really thrive is to live in the moment. Mm. and feel the gratitude from that experience. Right. Great point. Great point. Yes. Uh, time marches on, but march with time. Yes. 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 yes yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, as you were talking about the painting, I was thinking about um, my mom and, and you know, because I know you always, you know, you were painting classes at, at the center. And, uh, you know, when we were growing up, um, we, we didn't have the kind of vital senior centers you have now. They were always good. You know, mm-hmm. and of course, I'm sure that uh, you've heard this the same line from from many uh, older people as they get older. They go, "Well, I'm not going to senior center. That's for older people." <laughs> you know, <laughs> but there's a, there's a lot of vitality there, and I think that you know, my mom was sort of a precursor in that she's you know uh, she lived not too far from where we are where we are mm-hmm. now, but um, she had her um, a, a Wednesday China painting class. She was a China painter. And huh. um, a porcelain painter, and uh, she would have uh, every Wednesday a class of about twelve or fifteen um, her china painting ladies, and um, you know she would you know teach them and go around and they would talk and they would have lunch and they would chat among each other and you know I just thought of like boy this is what senior centers have evolved into and uh, absolutely uh, and they're they're very different these days so and and you uh, we have wonderful you know successor to you you know I know um, uh, Christine Rice Christine Rice is the best absolutely but you you developed a lot of this during your tenure there so talk a little bit about how senior centers have evolved and how they've kind of changed And, and you know important not just for the seniors there but for their older children who's who are also engaged with them and bring them there and, and understand what, what it means to the community. Sure. We actually even have some examples of, and I'm sure other centers do as well, of both generations because we are serving 60 on up. And so that there's a real, there's two generations there now mm. that weren't in the past. And it's a very different way of programming. It's a very different way of thinking and, and providing uh, services for, uh, but you know, back in the 1960s, when the Older Americans Act was brought into being, uh, they really required communities to provide uh, a nutritious meal and some socialization, limited but minimal socialization for their older residents, basically to reduce uh, loneliness and social isolation, which, which is critical. But what happened once the congregate meals really got off the ground and they began to get people together was they realized not only were they interested in nourishing them with, with good food, but they were interested in nourishing their, their minds and their hearts. And so people began to laugh and uh, 
being strong, long conversations about important issues. People began to want to play bingo and card games. Eventually, they wanted to start dancing. And little by little by little, uh, these small organizations turned out to be pretty huge. We had just, you know, a handful of people at first at Outer Senior Center, and now there are close to 2,000 people who take advantage of programs and services there. So it's really it's really come a long way because the whole nature of senior centers has changed dramatically from just a congregate meal site, which is critical still, uh, to a place where people that can continue to get supported uh, physically, emotionally, you know, socially, uh, and, and culturally. Um, just to give you a feel for the programming, uh, we have you know, exercise, for example. So it's not just the traditional cardio exercise, but there's weightlifting, there's Tai Chi, there's yoga, uh, chair yoga, you know, for balance and concentration. Then we moved on to ballroom dancing, tap dancing, ballet, as you heard before, uh, even belly dancing at times. Uh, there's line dancing, there's Zumba classes. So that one small, you know, it's kind of like a bagel. A bagel used to just be a bagel, and now suddenly you can have 50 different shades of bagel. Uh, and it's it's opened up opportunities and new adventures for so many people. Uh, some of the other classes, just to give you a continued feel of that, that for you know mental exercise, uh, because what's good for the heart is often good for the brain. But we do a lot of brain games. There's bridge, there's chess, uh, there's book clubs, language classes, uh, lifelong learning. Uh, for socialization, uh, there is a coffee and conversation group that when we first started uh, was filled with people who actually lived alone and had no one to talk to. And mm -hmm. they came to the center. And when they came to that uh, workshop, when they came to that class, they realized that they had not even heard their own voices wow. in sometimes hours or days until they came there. So they're learning about what other people think, but they're also getting to reconnect with themselves, which is, which is terrific. Um, and then we do a lot of intergenerational work and community outreach work uh, involved in creativity. There are all kinds of art classes, music, piano lessons, choral groups, drama clubs, writing workshops. Uh, and what's very exciting to me is we're starting to break down the walls of the senior center and Christine, I know, is going to do so much with this uh, and, and actually work in the communities, in the gardens, in the schools, in the library, in the museums. You know, just taking an active interest in your surroundings and taking on an active role because the community is becoming more receptive now that they're seeing how much more older people are really still capable of. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that... Um you know, there there is a lot of uh, sort of reintegration. You know, um, you know. Uh, I think you know. Years ago, we we're like, well, what are we going to do with these older people? You know, let's well, let's create senior centers and nursing homes, and mm. and I think just a realization that certainly, you know, as you get frailer, and, and you know, yes, every age cohort has certain interests, and in some ways, it can be more efficient, you know, to deal with them as groups. But I think we also realize that that's not what really communities are about. They're about, you know, all things across generations. And I think there's there's no reason to segregate seniors, you know, with respect to their communities. And they, I know that, you know, you, well, now, you know, we're, you're doing much more virtually because of the, of the pandemic, but, you know, bringing seniors into the community and bringing 
um, the community to the senior center, I think is really an important, um, you know, reintegration process, um, you know. It, it is, and it's a way of, of um, it, it's a way of keeping older people feeling like they are still engaged mm-hmm. in their communities. And, and it's also a lesson for younger people to watch older people go through this process so that they themselves are not frightened by it or intimidated or uncomfortable in any way. And hopefully it's a way for them to ultimately break down some of those awful stereotypes that we still have. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I just going back for a second, I, I think that, um, you know, I, I look at it, you know, my, my, you know, paradigms are sort of, you know, ecological versus technological. So, mm. you know, I think that we've, we've done, you know, marvelous things in terms of our country's progress through technology. And, and I don't mean just, just the actual, you know, computers and machinery, but through that notion of specialization, people specialize and they become experts in certain areas. But then I think what's happened in really since, uh, you know, it's probably the 60s and 70s is, you know, the whole ecological movement, realizing that, you know, we are environments, you know, we are, you know, ecological habitats, and that's what humanity is too. And that's what makes up communities. And, um, and so it's the relationships between, you know, and among all of us that, that make up communities. And I, exactly. I think that's something people are starting to really realize, you know, uh, you know, we can, <laughs> you know, we, we, and we create communities, you know, through social media, but then also, you know, we, we have these communities that are local and special and, you know, uh, we can, you know, cultivate and nurture. And that's really important to our stability. Absolutely. And where they can support one another. Uh, we're working on a time, bank, time banking initiative that we hope mm. to get off the ground uh, in Glen Cove, where uh, we basically, it's a, a service credit system, a bartering of services, where we're hoping that younger and older people will be able to continue to see and deepen the value of what they have to offer one another. Tell me and, about that a little bit. What is Time Bank about? Well, it's, it is a, a kind of a bartering system where people share whatever their talents or their skills or their interests are with others who are in need of them. And basically, it's one hour for one hour of support. You get one hour of credit. And there is no money exchange. There's no other currency involved, which is wonderful for young people who may not have a lot of money and for older people who might be on fixed incomes. Uh, and they and they support one another. And it's not, it doesn't have to be a one-on-one directly. So that if, for example, I might need legal assistance uh, and I get it from someone, that person doesn't have to get back anything from me, but I'm going to give uh, my... Uh, ability to uh, translate a letter into uh, German for someone else. And so we are all helping each other on so many different levels. And you would not believe how many people are excited about this. They don't see their own values so much as they see how their needs could be met yet. But Mm -hmm. once they do, I think it's going to be a very magical thing. And I think it's going to make Glen Cove a very special community. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I think that many of these are just such interesting learning experiences. You know, I think that, um, you know, this this whole notion of, you know, first there was continuing education, you know, from colleges and high schools and so forth. Um, and I think that um, that's really broadened uh, and, and, you know, authentically into lifelong learning, recognizing that, you know, just because you leave the structured environment of college doesn't mean you, you stop learning and that, 
you know, and that's one of the things that I think that uh, there's a lot of, um, you know, uh, evidence-based research that, you know, learning and, and lifelong learning is a very strong component um, Absolutely. toward preventing that, cognitive decline later on. In yes, life. exactly. That can continue for years to come. And uh, I, I think one of the exciting things that had happened at the center when we began our lifelong learning program is we reached out and, and began relationships with universities mm-hmm. uh, and colleges in our area that we never had before. And they were very willing to come in and share their expertise with us and then asked us if we would come and talk with their students. So again, back to your point, Ron, about becoming a community that supports one another, uh, the lifelong learning went in both directions. And uh, that's another thing that really helps to break down the barriers of, of prejudice. Right, right. Yeah, I remember, you know, um, a couple of reunions ago in college, you know, um, um, you know, you get to see other classes beside, you know, other five-year classes besides yours. And there was a gentleman, uh, we were walking along and, and um, we were chatting and he was talking about, you know, ah, I'm not going to ever retire, you know, and, and uh, you know, you could sort of see that what, what attracts people, you know, I think universities are seeing this, what attracts and, and actually is a good marketing vehicle for them is to keep their alumni engaged in learning beyond college. You know, I think that's something that 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 desire doesn't change, you know, and and I think Not, about, and it also um, it, it helps us form a, um, a community within a community, too, which is wonderful. So you have a lot of other people who are older who also are interested in continuing to learn. Right. And they've got some expertise. They've had some history of, you know, whether it's the job they've held or, or the experience they've gone through that they're willing to share and with all the wisdom of all the years. And there's an awful lot there. I, I know at, you know, locally, our own uh, Hofstra University has the peer group mm-hmm. and uh, they actually do tremendous exchanges with one another. They right. share their their uh, experience, their expertise, their, their life, and then they bring it into the community, which, right. you know, is wonderful because it's setting the message again right. that, we still have a lot to offer. We right. still have a lot to learn. We're still excited about growing. Yeah. So let's hold that thought. We're going to take another break. Then when we come back, much more with Carol Waldman about lifelong learning. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Do you want to hear a show about football? How about football moms? What if we told you that was just a start? Tune in for Double Down with Garrett and Mac. Audrey Garrett and Jeracy Mack are moms to some well-known NFL players. Sure, they'll talk football and raising their kids to achieve greatness, but they'll also talk about community and world issues, motherhood, news, and lifestyle topics. Listen in every Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you checked out Teen Wealth Radio? 
It's a show for teens, their parents, and educators. Hosted by Brandy England, along with regular weekly contributors, Teen Wealth Radio will cover the topics that teens need to talk about. Plus, we discuss a book of the week and a movie of the week, and each show will offer a challenge to our teen listeners that they can share on our private Facebook group page. Be sure to tune in to Teen Wealth Radio, live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. You are listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back to 45 Forward, where we're talking with Carol Waldman about how to age successfully and how to resist ageism. And before the break, we were talking about lifelong learning. And I just wanted to add sort of a kicker to our conversation. And it was a quote that I, I've always loved over the years. And it's from a woman named Rosalind Yalo, who is a, a Nobel Prize winner in medicine uh, from the City University of New York. And this was her quote, the excitement of learning separates youth from old age. As long as you're learning, you're not old. Mm-hmm. And I think Beautiful. that really says a lot about, you know, how we stay young as we get older. And one of the components is to always, as you put it, Carol, be engaged in learning and in life. So on the flip side, um, it's, it still is tough, you know, um, you know, as, as you, um, as you've experienced it and also, um, you know, gotten more credentials in the field of gerontology, you've also become a very active um, fighter against ageism. So talk a little bit about your feelings about that. Sure. I love the quote though. That was beautiful. I'm just absorbing that. Thank you. Uh, well, you know, of all the isms, uh, this is the only one that we are all potentially uh, subject to. So we're all not gay or we're all not black or Jewish or Muslim or women. But if we're lucky, uh, we will all be old one day. Uh, and it's not the most talked about ism, you know, like racism or sexism, but it's the universal ism. And we really need to pay a lot more attention to it because you know, as you mentioned, Ron, I mean, our culture really values youth and, um, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it tends to ignore, overlook, undervalue uh, older adults. So, you know, starting with things like the fairy tales that we learn when we're young, um, you know, the mean old witch and the helpless old man in Hansel and Gretel, uh, right away, we start to hear the message uh, to the grumpy old lady and the dirty old man in greeting cards. Uh, to the narrow, pitiful, foolish, needy, silly images on television of older people. Uh, The message basically is, you know, we don't really have much to offer. Let's get them off the road, you know, off the road of life. Mm -hmm, (laughs) Let's push them back. Um, You know, they can be quite a burden. Uh, Look what we experienced with the beginning of the pandemic uh, when there was so much talk and, and understandably about how older people were suffering uh, and that there might not be enough equipment, there may not be enough resources to support everyone. And there was the talk of rationing care again, which is you know a frighteningly ageist thing to begin to look at. But, uh, but instead of the actual reality, which is that older people really can be seen as wise, they can be seen as expansive, as generous, you know, and as productive. 
And sadly, uh, and you and I have talked a little bit about this before, but sadly, older people uh, can be their own worst enemies here. Uh, What you mentioned before is a perfect example. People saying, oh, I won't step into a senior center because, you know, look how old they look. And the implication meaning that old is negative. Mm -hmm. And um, that's, you know, that's really not the case. Uh, I I really feel like when you step into a senior center, you add years to your life. So um, in an effort to really address this more fully, I I looked at um, creativity in particular, and I uh, I was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to work with Hofstra University, which, you know, to be able to partner with a university, a community-based organization, to partner with a university is a, a wonderful experience. Um, and we created a conference on aging and creativity a couple mm. of years ago. Uh, it was an attempt to fight ageism and to kind of break down stereotypes um, because there's this old view of uh, creativity uh, where it begins with apprenticeship. It goes to mastery, and then it goes to creative decline. But creativity is actually one of those areas, uh, like education, where we can absolutely continue to grow in many ways and oftentimes outshine our younger selves. So, uh, for example, uh, David Hockney, who's an artist, um, said he's almost 80. His greatest works, he hopes, are ahead of him because he's accumulated more skill and more experience and freedom to take risks. And, you know, if I, if I think about it and I look at artists like Cezanne or Picasso or Michelangelo or Leonardo da Vinci, music, think of music and you can think of Beethoven or, or let's go more modern, you know, Mel Torme or even more modern Johnny Cash or, or Paul Simon. These are people who are doing, have done amazing things in, in later years. So we decided to have this kind of 12 hour marathon uh, conference, um, When you walked into the conference, there was an artist in her 80s painting as people began to gather. Uh, At lunch, we had a pianist in his late 80s playing some jazz of the big band uh, and swing era. We had educators talking about what it meant to grow older. We had United Nations leaders talking about global aging. We had government officials talking about aging policies. But most importantly, we had artists and entertainers who are living examples of creativity flowing through them, whether they were writing or composing, talking about art or fashion or cooking. And the best part of it all was that older and younger people attended. And I believe, I hope at least, that they were profoundly moved and inspired by what they saw. And and I hope it shifted their perspective a little bit. Yeah, yeah. That's very interesting because, you know, I... um, Recently, um, I know in our, our, our local area, um, one of the art museums um, decided to have, in cooperation with AARP, uh, an exhibition called, you know, Art at 50 Plus. Mm. And so all the entrants uh, were to be, you know, artists of many capacities uh, who were 50 and older. Um, and the curator, I think, was a, a well-known uh, photographer. And she, I think, was in her 70s or 80s. So she, she herself was still vital in doing it. And they thought, well, this would be kind of nice. Let's see what happens. Well, they are so overwhelmed with entries. You know, mm. they have hundreds of people who want to, you know, participate. Fantastic. And I think that, yeah. you know, it just shows that it's, you know, and I think, too, that, you know, the, the, the elements of, you know, of wisdom come in, of experience. You know, as you get older, you sort of see things in different ways and you have different perspectives. And I think that, 
that you know informs your art and develops you in ways that keep you vital and and give you insights that you didn't have when you were younger. You were moving Absolutely. too fast, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> yeah. From from many of my experiences, that you know, the one of the the nice things about getting older in terms of you know um, being slower. Okay, I'm not as physically vital, but I get to see things more and I get yeah. to appreciate things more. And in slowing down, I get to avoid accidents more. <laughs> and I get. <laughs> And I get to, you know, just take some time to reflect on things. And I yeah. think that that's, you know, something that, again, you know, they, um, um, you know, people talk about, well, you know, you've got, got lemons, you make lemonade. And it's like, well, actually, sometimes you can make a, you know, a lemon cocktail, you know, it could be yeah. lemon yeah. drop cocktail is even more vital and more interesting and more <laughs> uh, Absolutely. Uh, celebratory. Yeah. And what you're talking about is deepening the experience of life, which is what we have the opportunity to do until the day we die. So we are alive until that moment. Uh, But the the thing you mentioned that I I just like to emphasize, because I think it's so important, is you talked about AARP and organizations that are looking for uh, opportunities to celebrate the creativity of older folks. Right. And that is so important that we have communities willing to embrace this uh, population and what they're still capable of. And it's got to be that wonderful combination because as you saw when they put in the entries, there were so many people doing good work and, and excited to share it. But if they didn't have the venue, if they didn't have the opportunity, what would happen? It would be probably you know, something that they'd have pleasure from in their own home, but they wouldn't get the community. Uh, supported. Um, And they wouldn't be supported by the community. So I I really think that combination is the key to what we need to do in our communities. And it really makes a difference for not just those who are older now, but those who are going to get older. So we'll all benefit in the end. Right. So that goes right into what I want to talk about in our last segment, which is um, sort of formalizing a lot of the work in your ideas. Uh, it was you who reached out to ARP um, to help develop locally, you know, the ARP age-friendly um, community concept, which, um, as, as you know, came out of the World Health Organization's uh, initial notion, but ARP has taken it over in North America. So talk about why you did that and, and what you think we gained by formalizing this approach into an age-friendly community paradigm. Yeah, uh, you know, I was aware uh, for a couple of years that our governor in New York, uh, and perhaps it's the same in other states as well for other listeners, but uh, I was aware that he was interested in uh, creating a prevention agenda and basically a health across all policies approach to making New York a healthier place to live, uh, for all of us to be uh, uh, healthy residents and uh, and to have systems that would support that. And he, um, he was really, I think, right on track when he said, this is what I want, but I need each community to actually embrace that idea. So I thought, well, you know, what are we doing in Glen Cove that is uh, age-friendly? And I looked at everything we have, and, and if I could just share a few things, because sure. perhaps the listeners from other communities may have similar types of resources. But, you know, in, in Glen Cove, we have 
uh, a hospital, our own hospital, uh, part of a larger system, but it's a hospital right there. Uh, we have a volunteer fire department. We have a police department. Uh, we have a very um, large, I think there are close to 23 or 24 different religious organizations. We have a chamber of commerce for businesses and a business improvement district. Uh, we have a fantastic senior center now, thanks to Christine and her team, fabulous youth services, gorgeous parks, uh, you know, a lot in place that I thought in, in addition to some transportation and some affordable housing, uh, I thought we are going to really shine when I take the livability score for, um, for age-friendly that, that uh, AARP puts forward. And we only got a 58. Hmm. And it surprised me and it concerned me because I thought, well, you know, maybe we need to examine this more. Maybe we think we're doing a lot, but we need, we need to do more. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized, um, for example, we have a shelter that has helped homeless men, but it's only helped men and it's only helped them during certain uh, months of the year for certain hours. So it, it's limited. It's support, but it's limited. We have a loop bus, but it has a limited range. It doesn't go everywhere at all hours. So, you know, the more I look to things similar to housing, we have a couple of wonderful housing options, but they have long waiting lists. I thought we really need to do a little bit more work here. So that's why I thought it might be a good idea to get on board, try to join uh, in the governor's efforts to make the whole state more age-friendly by starting with our own community. Right, right. The next stage there was to begin to look at the community and ask them, talk to them, listen right. to them. What it is that they felt was missing or that they felt would benefit us uh, as opportunities to grow up and grow older in, 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 a, in a way where we could all thrive. And we got quite an earful. A lot right. of people had a lot of thoughts and it was terrific. And right. so we decided to create an advisory board of leaders and residents um, and leaders included everything from the superintendent of schools on. Uh, right. and, then, and then we moved to an action draft plan. Right. And uh, that's where we are right now. Great, great. Well, I wish we could keep talking about this, but we are coming to our close. So I just wanted to leave a few minutes to uh, say my heartfelt thanks to you. We can keep the conversation going after the show is over. People can listen to this as a podcast. Uh, Carol, if people want to get in touch with you, how do they reach you? Uh, probably the best way would be with my email. And that's waldman4 at optonline.net. Ron, I'll give that to you. And if, Great. if you want to. Right. And, and people should know, too, I'm going to put some of this information about Carol on my website, robelresources.com, and then click on the 45 forward tab, and you can get Carol's contact information, some more information about her, as well as, uh, you know, your friends can listen to the podcast, the show as a podcast there. Um, and then finally, I just want to be sure to ask everyone to join me again the next uh, week at 12 noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern when I'll be talking to Patricia King, who has a fabulous career that you won't want to miss. So uh, until then, have a safe, productive uh, week, and uh, we'll see you next Monday. Thank you for tuning in to 45 Forward. Please join your host, Ron Roel, for another great show next Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We wish you a great week.